the pressures on teenagers today are a lot different than they used to be. Parents will have no clue what their high school age kids are facing today if they base it on what life was like 25 or 30 years ago. If you think about things that were stressful for yourself as an adolescent, you know, typically struggling with issues of sex, drugs, violence, social approval, those are tough enough. But you weren't dealing with hundreds or perhaps thousands of people at a time. Clinical psychologist Dr. Michael Bradley is author of the book Crazy Stressed, Saving Today's Overwhelmed Teens with Love, Laughter, and the Science of Resilience. Today, you know, that concept of bullying looks romantic and easy versus what goes on electronically, where kids at a push of a button can have horrible things said about them. We have potentiated the impact of these stresses for kids because they're pounded 24-7, sometimes literally because they don't sleep, with these prompts encouraging them to get involved in sex and drugs and violence in various ways. And their brains simply aren't wired to handle those kinds of decisions and the stress that comes along with that. Being a teenager is supposed to be about finding out who you are. But Bradley says, especially with the influence of social media, today it's all about who you want others to think you are. They're essentially trying to manage social perceptions of themselves, the way a PR person would work for a company or an individual. And so they have to respond to everything. They have to monitor everything. It becomes a very high-stress job that literally keeps them up awake at night, worried. And because they know everything they do is being seen, they tend to create these false persona. You know, everything they do is fantastic. Every party they had is over the top. They have to outdo each other with outrageousness. And 99% of it is not the truth, so they don't actually get to be themselves authentically. And we're really worried about the impact of that. For many high schoolers, the audience they have to manage includes prospective colleges. Especially in affluent suburban schools and elite private academies, it creates what students call a culture of pressure that demands they load up on advanced placement classes, extracurriculars, and sports. Jared Mason is a former high school English teacher who is now teen programming director at the Alive Center, a teen center in Naperville, Illinois. The bar is being raised for the kids in almost every element of life that you can think of. So it's being raised for academics. It's being raised for athletics. It's being raised for extracurricular involvement in all these different areas. The problem is that kids then internalize that they cannot perform underneath that bar in any of those arenas. Very few realize that you don't have to be amazing at every single thing. So most of them are spending time, they do volunteer hours, they take hard classes, they do sports three times a year, they try to maintain a social life because then you get that pressure from social media to still have lots of friends and everything. And that's when they become too overwhelmed because they think that's what a college wants. That's Samia Barty, a senior at Naperville Central High School and a member of the Student Advisory Board at the Alive Center. That's why people take up all of these hard classes that they have no interest in and that they're struggling to maintain like a B because it's an AP class and because they need to take these honors classes to prove that they're intelligent. And that's really not how it works. That's why kids spend hours volunteering at places that they absolutely hate or why they join sports that they hate. That's a mistake that I did a freshman year. I joined tennis even though I knew I wasn't going to enjoy it. 
I hated it the entire time. And the pressure starts early. She says students are almost encouraged to worry about college as soon as they're out of middle school. When I was a freshman, like a few weeks into it, our principal gave us a speech about how, oh, as a freshman, you're going to start thinking about college soon. And then I was so overwhelmed because I was like, I still have four years. Like, why is this being put on me? It's taken me a while to understand that high school is a lot more than going to college. It's an important four years, and I feel like teachers don't really tell you that sometimes. Your counselors and the principal and administration and staff and mainly like college board and all the AP people are always telling you you need to do well so that you're going to succeed in the future. And no one ever tells you do what's making you happy in the moment. And certainly the parents aren't doing it either. You had parents calling in from eighth grade telling the you know freshman year teachers that I want them to be in honors English. You had people calling each year suggesting wanting their kid to be put into the next higher level, whether the kid wanted to or not. And so I think the parents are the next step in getting them to, one, try to avoid listening to the noise of keeping up with the Joneses, right? Well, my son's doing this and your son's doing this. But then, two, not listening to the noise of these Ivy League schools require all this stuff, so my kid has to do all this stuff. Instead, talk to your child. What do they want to do? What are they interested in doing? I've had many of those schools pay me to come out to tell the parents, please stop pushing your kids academically. First of all, the data shows that at best, that will not help anything. And at worst, it's a diminishing return. The more we stress kids and pressure them academically, the less happy they are in life. A whole bunch of data out there saying, we got to rethink this whole thing. It's just over the top. So I find the schools often will roll their eyes when they hear the parents saying, you got to give my kid four AP courses and we need more enrichment and you know, how come he only had three hours of homework last night? But they're the consumers and the schools are just stepping up to meet that. In my conferences, I find very few schools or staff that are saying, we got to pressure these kids more. They actually recognize the epidemic of stress that's hitting these kids and are saying, this has gone too far. So some schools finally get it, but the culture of pressure is hard to break. Colleges, for example, have intended in part to reduce the pressure on high schoolers by strongly looking at extracurriculars as well as grade point average for admissions. But Candace Henning, founder and executive director of the Alive Center, says in a way that's ended up making things worse. To get into elite colleges, students now figure they need both the GPA and the extracurriculars. That's what they start to expect of themselves. And it just, I don't know, it just becomes too much. I mean, they're kids, right? I mean, this is high school. They're supposed to be exploring, discovering, trying things and figuring out who they are. And part of that is making mistakes, you know, trying things and failing or trying things. Being like, eh, that's not my thing. I'm going to try something else. But when you're at that age held to such a high level of expectations, it just puts a lot of pressure on really early. And the biggest thing is, is I don't think they're learning how to cope then with failing. There are the kids who can do it. They can strive and they can thrive under that kind of pressure. And, but those are very, very few. I think the next kind of largest group of kids who kind of try to do that are the ones who feel that if they're not performing as well as their friends, then they are letting themselves down or they're letting the teachers, the parents down. And so it's a lot of pressure put on them you know, from their peers and from themselves. And then I think you get the third group of kids who try to do all of those things, try to do them really, really well, end up um, burning themselves out. 
Mason says those students may face mental health issues, but probably won't admit weakness by asking for help. Failure is simply not an option. But Bradley says parents shouldn't protect their kids from failure at all costs. The idea is to not control a kid's behavior in parenting in general, but rather teach the child to control herself, which sounds like nuancing a couple of words, but it's an entirely different way of looking at parenting. It's where you don't rush in to make them do the right thing or to protect them from all stress, harm, failure, but rather you help the kid, you coach the kid to engage in the world in appropriate ways of tolerating what we call positive stress, to handle failures, to handle defeats, and learn how to rebound from these things. And that's the essence of the concept of resilience. Bradley says failure is far from toxic. In fact, the most transformative moments of most people's lives come from failure and owning the consequences. You have to let your child learn to make decisions and then handle the consequences. The mantra there is the bad decision made well is more valuable than the good decision made poorly. The good decision made poorly is when dad tells the kid what to do. You're going to take these courses and you're going to, this is going to be your major. Much better for the kid to make the choice, to figure out that their choice was bad, to pay those consequences, and then make better decisions. That's our goal as parents, is to build their decision-making, not to insulate them from failure, because failure will help them. Bradley admits that some kids thrive on pressure. He calls them the West Pointers. They seem to do fine on less sleep. They get good grades, do sports, and more than anything else, they're happy. I always ask the parents when they're describing the kid, well, does she smile? Do you hear him being a goofball? Does he laugh? Is he easy? Does he slump down on the couch and, you know, put his feet up on you and say, Dad, what's happening? See, those are all indicators that a kid is at the appropriate level of stress. The thing we've lost is that appropriate level of stress is a relative term. It's relative to an individual and to an age. Stress is not bad. In the appropriate dose, stress is strengthening, but it's that bell curve. You want to find that sweet spot in the middle. Kids who are not stressed enough, who have zero stress, and kids who are overstressed all become anxious and depressed and even suicidal. The kids in that sweet spot that have the appropriate amount of stress, they're the ones that are building resilience because they've got a good box score. You know, they're getting enough hits, they're striking out enough, so they're winning some, they're losing some, and they're learning. But does your child sit in that sweet spot? Henning says the Alive Center advises students to do something many have never heard before, do less do perhaps five things they're really interested in and can dive into. Does it work? Well, every teenager's different, but here are some things to look for. It sounds simplistic, but you start with, you know, gee, does the kid look happy? You know, does he look like he's 15 and life is really cool and he's excited? Or is his head down? Is he exhausted? Is he sighing? Is he not sleeping? Is his food patterns off? Are his patterns off? You know, is he out of that sweet spot? And that's when you have to step in and say, you've got lots of time, kiddo. You're still very young. You'll figure this high-stress game out later when you're really built for it and then get them back to the sweet spot level of challenge. Parents need to find a sweet spot, too. They can get overwhelmed as well, and they can't turn the culture around by themselves. But they can do a lot more for their teenagers than many of them may think. We can through parenting, our relationship with our kids, rescue them. 
they are still watching us and learning from us, even when we think they're not. So this is the time to amp up even more, to get more engaged as a skillful parent to get your kid through this rough time. Understand you hold the cards as a mom or dad for your child. You can find out more about Dr. Michael Bradley and his book, Crazy Stressed, at his website, drmikebradley.com. The Alive Center is at alivenaperville.com. Or you can find out about all of our guests through links on our website, radiohealthjournal.net. I'm Reed Pence. Accidental falls are a leading cause of injury and death in older Americans. In fact, one in three people age 65 and older will take a fall at some point that diminishes their quality of life. Falls can happen for a variety of reasons. But Dr. Katie Davenport, a practicing emergency physician and member of the American College of Emergency Physicians, explains how to reduce your risk. Emergency physicians have outlined seven simple steps to avoid falls in a new video. Here are a few of them. First, improve strength and balance with exercise, like Tai Chi. Check your home for hazards that could cause you to trip, like loose rugs. Make sure you wear supportive footwear, and if your medications make you feel lightheaded or dizzy, ask your doctor or pharmacist about alternatives. For more tips, visit www.emergencycareforyou.org. The 7-Step Fall Challenge video outlines common steps you can take right now to greatly reduce your risk of falling. Just go to emergencycareforyou.org to view it and find more information. That's emergencycareforyou.org. Medical Notes This Week For years, doctors have told patients to take aspirin to ward off heart disease. But a new study in the journal Clinical Cardiology finds that for certain heart disease patients, it may be bad advice. The study shows that patients receiving long-term treatment for plaque buildup get little or no benefit from taking aspirin. Despite the findings, doctors still recommend aspirin for more immediate situations, such as during a heart attack or stroke. A new study shows unprecedented success in treating America's second fastest growing cancer, multiple myeloma. Findings presented at an American Society of Clinical Oncology conference show that every single patient in the study responded favorably to a new form of treatment called CAR-T therapy. CAR-T is gene therapy for a patient's disease-fighting T-cells. Although the study was small, the results are promising for more than 60,000 Americans who have myeloma. And finally, a catch-22. A new study in the journal Depression and Anxiety finds that the social pressure to feel happy is actually making us sad. The study shows that the more someone feels they should not be anxious or sad, the more likely they are to show signs of depression. This suggests that social environment plays a part in whether or not someone is likely to experience depression. And that's Medical Notes this week. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.